All right, good morning once again. Glad you guys are here. I'm, I'm like, I'm pumped. I'm a little sweaty. I'm going to be honest with you. Just a little sweaty. I'm glad that maybe you are too. I hope so, man. We really, it's really great when we get into worship and we really experience it on every level. And so I'm glad that you're here today. And um, we are in a series called You Asked For It. And it is what it, it is what it is. We vote, we let y'all vote on what you wanted me to preach on. And I said, whatever you want. Whatever you ask for, I'll do it. And so that's what we got going in this series. And so uh, we, we took the three highest vote getters. So last week was the third highest vote getter. This is the second highest. Next week is going to be the first. So you definitely want to make sure that you're here next week. In fact, what we talk about next week blew everything else away in the voting, um, not to diminish what we're doing today. But today was good too. So uh, today we're answering this question. You asked for it. What does a Christian family look like? What does a Christian family look like? And there were lots of things you suggested that went into this category. Things about parenting and about relationships and marriage and how do you stay on the right track with all these pressures. And so we took all of that and and bundled it up into one message. And as I was preparing this week, to be honest, I was like, this is too much. This, This is too much. This is way more than 30 minutes can hold. And so I actually made the decision today because so many people asked for this that immediately after the series, I took the series we were going to do, pushed it into 2018. And so after this series, we're going to do a six-week series on family. We're going to talk about dating and finding the right person. We're going to talk about starting relationships together. We're going to talk about sleeping together. That'll be one of them. We're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about money and relationships. We're going to talk about parenting. We're going to talk about staying together when things get tough. It's going to be a really great series, and I'm looking forward to it. And so there may be some things we talk about today where I just push you to that series. Okay, and say, hey, we'll get to that one later. But um, we're going to answer this. Part of the reason it's so hard to do a message on what does a Christian family look like is because every one of your situations are different. I mean, you've got a, you got your nuclear family, and you've got a biological family. You've got in-laws, and some of you may be, you know, experiencing adoption or foster care or guardians, grandma and grandpa's raising you. You, you know, you have kids in the house. You don't have kids in the house. You're, you're, you're single or you're married or you're single again, and it's like it's this whole like landscape quilt of things in the room right now, and I can't possibly speak to every single one of your situations, and so. What I want to do is I just want to go up to 30,000 feet and give some huge principles on what it means to be a Christian family. And as some of you might not be Christian, so you're like, well, why would I care about this? <laughs> First of all, I would say you're in church today. So uh, that's the kind of thing we're going to talk about. But what, what you may find if you're not a Christian, you may find that your idea of what a Christian family is might be very different than what it actually is supposed to be. And I think that when you hear what a Christian family is supposed to be, it'll be very attractive to you. You may find it very, very interesting and very appealing as well. So I just encourage you to pay close attention. Now, um, family changes over time too, doesn't it? So this is like a moving target. But what, what does a Christian family look like? First, let me tell you what it doesn't necessarily look like. It doesn't necessarily look like a mother, a father, 2.4 kids, a dog, a house in the suburbs, okay? It could be so many different, I don't know how you get four-tenths of a kid, but like it could be that, I guess, somehow, but uh, usually it's not. And, And I'll tell you before we talk about what does make you a Christian family, what doesn't make you a Christian family, going to church together doesn't make you a Christian family. Putting a, putting a Bible on your coffee table in your living room doesn't make you a Christian family. 
put sticking a Jesus fish on your car. That doesn't make you, it's called an ichthus, by the way. That doesn't make you a Christian family, nor does putting one of those vinyl Bible verses up on the wall, you know, those like peel and stick things. That doesn't make you a Christian family. Uh, sending your kids to a Christian university instead of one of those heathen state schools, that doesn't make you a Christian family. All right, doing devotions together, praying together, those things don't make you a Christian family. Choosing to go on vacation to the Museum of the Bible instead of going to Disney, that doesn't make you a Christian family. None of those things make you a Christian family any more than me going down to Charlotte today, putting on a jersey, running out on the field, makes me a Carolina Panther. <laughs> it doesn't. Now, those are some things that a Carolina Panther might do, right? So those, those, all those things I listed may be things that a Christian family might or might not do, but that doesn't make you a Christian family. And uh, for a lot of us, when we think of what is a Christian family, those are the things we think of, right? For some of you, maybe you're not a Christian. That's what you picture. You picture those things. And you're like, I don't know if I'm into those things. Well, those things aren't necessarily what a Christian family does. There's something deeper than this that we need to look at. And what I want you to know today is that as we look at that deeper thing, all of those things are leaf and branch issues. What we're going to talk about today is the root issue in a family. And what I want everyone to hear, and this is what I'm hearing this week as I'm preparing and as I'm learning myself, is that if we get the root issue fixed, if we get that in place, our relationships can be so much better. Our families can experience unity that isn't experienceable anywhere else. And so pay very close attention to what makes a Christian family a Christian family. Now, I don't know if you wondered this, and I know I'm saying Christian family, and I get used to it. I can't think of another word to use for it. So uh, I don't know if you asked this question. I sure did. I wrestled with this this weekend. Can a family even be a Christian family? Is that, is that even possible? Because, because Christianity is a personal decision. It's, it's a decision that I make when I realize that I have failed God and that I'm separated from God because of my sin. And I realize that the only way that I can be made right before God is if Jesus pays the penalty for my sin for me. And I have faith in his death on the cross and his resurrection. And I ask God to forgive me and accept me as his child. And I turn in faith to God. That's what makes me a Christian. So I do that as an individual. You can do that as an individual. And it puts us into an eternal relationship with God. But can an organization even do that? Can, can there, is there such a thing as a Christian band or is it a band of Christians? Is there such a thing as Christian music or is it, or a Christian radio station or is it a radio station made up of all Christians? Is there such a thing as a Christian restaurant? You know, I couldn't help but think about Chick-fil-A because like if you were going to label anything a Christian organization, it'd be Chick-fil-A, right? Because their founders are Christian and most if not all of their executives are Christians and you go into their store and they, they play Christian music as you're in there and they have family-friendly toys and the kids' meals. And, and it's, it's, it's like you'd say, well, that's a Christian environment. You sit down and you grab one of those sandwiches. You know, it's perfectly fried. It's just the right ratio of meat to bread and that's that buttered bun. You know, it's got the one pickle on it. And, and I don't know what you like, but I... I like the spicy deluxe. That's my favorite. It's just, I mean, it's like, I mean, other, other, they, nobody else gets it right. They have just the right spice blend and the way they cook it in. And I always get it with the pepper jack to add the extra little spice. And the, you got the lettuce and the tomato on there to like cool it off and the nice buttery bun and you bite into it. It's almost too hot to eat, you know, and you got, you got to take air in, but you just realize that you're experiencing something holy and, and, uh, 
And you know what I'm doing? I am, I am destroying all of you right now. Why? Because they're closed today, right? <laughs> they're closed on Sunday for the Sabbath, right? So, they're, so their employees can worship and so that they take a day off the way the scripture says. And I think it's amazing that Chick-fil-A does more in six days than most restaurants can do in seven. But, um, but if ever there was an organization you would call Christian, I, I would probably put the label on that one. And uh, is that possible? Now, I wrestled with that question, and you may be wrestling with it now, too, but I think the answer is yes. I think that you can have a Christian organization, but it doesn't have anything to do with what they do. Those are leaf and branch issues. It has to do with what's at the root of their organization, even if everybody in it isn't a Christian. You see, if an organization exists for the purpose of bringing glory to God and honoring him, then I would say yes, that is a, that is a Christian organization. And it doesn't matter whether everybody in it is on board with that or, or not. And so if we take the same definition and we transfer it over to the family, then I would say that a Christian family is defined as one whose central purpose is to bring honor and glory to God in all things. So what I want to do today by that definition is talk about how to build a Christian family. Some of you are on this journey. Many of you are. That's why you asked for this. And I'm on this journey too. So I'm, I wrestle through this every single day as well. Uh, for those of you who don't know my family, I have a wife, Jess. We've been married for, oh, I wasn't planning to say that. So uh, 17, 14 years. Thank you. Thank you, Marie. That's not my wife, by the way, but she <laughs> apparently knows how long I've been married. 14 years. That's right, because 15 is coming up next May. And we have uh, three kids. To get, three kids. Um, JD is nine, and Jairus, our middle, is seven, and Josie is five. And so we're on this journey together. We're not the teenage years yet, so you've got a lot you can teach me, some of you that are in the room. Um, but what makes, how do you build this Christian family? A, a family that is centered, their purpose and intent is centered on bringing glory and honor to God. It's two simple steps, it really is. Two simple steps. Here's the first one. The leader of the family must establish the purpose of the family. All right. The leader of the family must establish the purpose of the family. I love the example in Scripture of Joshua. Okay. Joshua was the leader of the nation of Israel after Moses. And many of you are familiar with Moses, maybe not so much with Joshua. But Moses dies and Joshua takes over. And he takes them into this place called the Promised Land. And it's the land God had promised to them. So they go in and they conquer all these nations. There's 12 tribes of Israel. They, they divvy out the land. They've all been together for a long time. And now they're going to spread out. And Joshua knows that as a leader. And he knows that when they disperse and when they spread out, there's going to be a lot of temptation for them to stray from their faith whether it's the faith of their fathers years and years and years ago, or whether it's the faith of the people who currently live in the land they're going into. But there's going to be a lot of temptation to, to mix things and to, to bend on certain things, and he wants to challenge them to stay faithful. And I love what he says, the declaration he makes in Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 15. Joshua's standing up in front of the nation. He, gathers, he, he divvies out the land, and then they gather them all back together, and he says, Now, therefore, fear the Lord... And serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the regions beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And then he says this, and he just, he says, you got to make a choice for you. You, you each need to make a choice for you. 
But he stands up in front of everybody publicly and says, this is the choice I'm making. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In order, in order to be a Christian family, the leader of your family needs to step up and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is our purpose. This is our intent. This is what we're going to do. And that's whoever the leader is in the house. I know that can be very different, and we'll talk, we'll talk about some of these scenarios for a minute. But first, I want to say that the way that God designed things to be in a traditional family setting, even though we don't all have those, is for the husband or for the father to lead the house spiritually. To be the one who stands up and says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And all the guys in the room listen to me. If you are the leader of a family, this is your most important job. More important than anything else you can do in your life. This is the number one responsibility that you hold in life. Now, preparing for, um, and that doesn't mean, by the way, whether you're married, whether you're engaged, whether you're dating, whether you're single, whatever, your job is to lead spiritually. Um, in preparing for this, I spent, uh, had lunch with Dennis Welch. Some of you know Dennis. He's sitting over there in the corner. Uh, Dennis is a pastor. He's a counselor. Uh, he specifically focuses on marriage and family counseling, and right now his uh, his primary role is with an organization that uh, helps marriages that are uh, in severe need of rescuing. In fact, he does um, three to four day intensive retreats with one couple um, as they work on their relationship. In fact, this week, yours is, they're coming from Switzerland this week? Yeah, they're coming from Switzerland this week to go through the program. And so I was like, I need to talk to Dennis. Um, so, <laughs> so I had lunch with Dennis, and, and uh, he told me, so he said this wasn't a scientific number, but in his experience, about 75% of the time, is this right? About 75% of the time that a couple sits down in front of you, the problem, the root problem is the husband is not fulfilling the role that he is supposed to fulfill in the family. You know, this is, this is our job. This is our job. Yet there are so many guys that don't do it. And because we have so many guys that don't do this and won't, won't look at their role in the family as serving and leading the family, then our understanding of family gets all messed up. So, of course, people say, well, I can't agree with a scripture that says the wife should submit to the husband or follow the husband or that the, the male is the head of the household. You can't follow that. Why? Because there's just tons of bad examples. Why do guys do that? Well, it's because we're idiots. I can say that because I am one. We are, we're selfish and we're egotistical. We're arrogant and it is so easy for us to think that all of the relationships around us exist to serve us rather than the fact that we exist to serve the relationships that are around us. And we end up looking at our wife and we end up looking at our kids as a pathway to our own happiness rather than realizing that we have a responsibility to them and a responsibility for them to lead them spiritually. And sometimes, even when we realize that's our responsibility, we get so scared that we're not going to be able to do it and be the person that we're supposed to be that we run from it. And so we end up with this whole culture, this whole mess of family. But God designed it for us to lead. And, and what I've experienced, and this is my personal experience, 
But I have never met a woman whose husband was actively taking the role of spiritual leader of their family, family and serving their family. I've never met a woman in my life that had a problem submitting to and following him when he was doing that. And so, guys, I just want you to hear that. I want you to hear this role. And I want you to take it. And I think we have, we have an, an epidemic of absentee fathers in our, in our culture. And we have an epidemic of absentee yet present fathers in our culture who are there in the house but are not taking this responsibility on themselves. And I want to challenge you to do it. Whether you're a parent, whether you are a, a spouse, whether you're dating, it starts when you're dating. You need to build a foundation, a relationship on the right thing. And you're, even, if you're, even if you're dating someone you haven't committed to the rest of your life to them, you, you, that's your responsibility. Your job is to lead spiritually. That's job number one. Guys, if you're married, your number one responsibility is to lead your, your wife spiritually, not to outsource it to anyone else and not to hope that it's happening outside of you. It's your job. If you're a parent, it's number one job for your kids. Your number one job to your kids is not to build a good middle school and high school resume so that they can get into a premier university. Your job is not to, to train them and mold them into professional athletes. Your job number one is not to turn her into the prima ballerina or to make sure that they're the most popular kid at school. Your job is not to set them up to have a successful life so they can learn, earn six figures later and live in the right neighborhood and run in the right social circles and drive the right car and have the right house and have a retirement. That's not job number one. Job number one is to make sure that they love Jesus with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their mind. And I, I think of, thank you, and if, if, if it's me, I think about me, if my kids grow up and they go to a, a prestigious university and they earn six figures and they live in the right neighborhood, but they don't love Jesus and serve people, if they don't love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and love their neighbor as their self, then I will have failed as a parent. If I can't look back and say, I did everything I possibly could to achieve that goal. But if my kids grow up and, and, and they don't go to college and they, they go into a trade and they earn four figures a year or five figures a year and they don't live in the right neighborhood and they don't run in the right social circles and, and they don't have all of this stuff. But if they love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and if they love their neighbor as their self, I won. I achieved the ultimate goal. And when this is the, the number one goal, the number one responsibility of a family, and we are pursuing it and we are chasing it, it brings a unity to your family that you can't possibly experience outside of it. It brings a joy to your family that can't be replaced anywhere else. It brings, it brings an excitement and a hope for the future for your kids that cannot be replaced and can't be substituted for. This is the most important thing that we stand up and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, I understand, though, that because of sin and because of everything we experience in life, some of you are in situations where the, the leader of your house won't say that. They just won't. They don't have any desire to. Now, what I find is the most common situation is that you have a wife who wants to be faithful to Christ, but the husband has no interest. Or maybe for some of you, it's your parents. You, you live with your parents and you want to honor God, but they, they're not interested in that at all. Or maybe husbands, it's, maybe it's some of you. Maybe you, you're here and your wife has no interest in spiritual things. What do you do then? Well, first of all, some things never change. So that was a problem when the Bible was written, just like it's a problem now. And there's very specific instructions on what to do when that's the case, when the leader won't stand up and say this. And sometimes you can have a Christian family and sometimes you have to be the Christian in your family. And for some of you, that's the case. And so um, Paul speaks specifically to this 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12. To the rest I say, I not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who's an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. So one thing that was happening is that the people were saying, well, my, my husband or my, my wife's not a believer, and so I'm going to divorce her. So I can, I can get out of this relationship because we don't have the same faith. He says, no, 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 no. Stay together. If they're willing, stay together. And then he flips it. If any woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. So he says it goes both ways. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Now, this doesn't mean that because you're saved, your spouse will be. That's not what that means. It means that if you leave, you lose your opportunity to influence them. You lose your opportunity to lead them towards Christ. All right, so you need to, if they're willing to stay, you stay because it gives you the opportunity to share the good news that you have with them. And it goes for the kids, too. He said, otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they're holy. So same thing. If you leave the family, you lose the opportunity to leave the kids. So stay there and be an influencer. Verse 15. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not to enslaved. God has called you to peace. So he said, if, so, but if they won't stay, then you let them go. Verse 16. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So he said, stay and influence. And then Peter tells us how to do it. I mean, he talks specifically to wives. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. You know, he's, saying, he's saying the same thing we said in our message last week. Remember, the message last week was how to disagree without dividing. And what did we say to do? We took the example of, um, of Daniel in Babylon, and we show respect, and we set a positive example. So we do when we disagree. So the instruction to wives here, which would apply to you if you're in a family with your parents and, and they're not believers, or if you're a husband and your wife's not a believer, it all apply, is that you show respect and you set a really great example. Now, what, what often happens in that situation is that respect goes out the window. And the attempt is to shame or to guilt the other spouse into faith. Like to make them feel bad that they won't go to church with you or that they're not praying or, or whatever it might be. And so you wake up and you go to church. You go, okay, we're going to church, taking the kids, you know. Are you coming? No, I'm not coming. Okay. Well, you're going to be that way. You know, and the whole thing just becomes a miserable thing, right? Whereas, whereas what if I was, I was again, talking this, some scenarios uh, through with Dennis and came up with something we thought might work. Um, what if instead you, uh, I'm going to go from the wife to the husband here because that's the most common thing, I think. Um, <clears throat> what if instead you said to your husband, hey, uh, I'm going to go to church this weekend and I, I would like to take the kids if that's okay with you. You ask permission. You're like, ask permission. Oh, ask permission. Well, what did Daniel do when he was in Babylon? He didn't want to drink the wine. He didn't want to eat the food they were going to make him eat. So he talked to the guy who was over him, and he asked permission not to defile himself. Why? Why would you do that? Because it shows respect. Because it shows respect. And so you say, if that's okay with you. They say, yeah, that's sure. You guys can go. And then you say, do you want to go? They say, no. Okay, that's fine. No problem. But I tell you what, after we get back from church, why don't we go to the park? 
Or why don't we go grab something to eat afterwards? And then when you go out to eat, just talk about how great church was and how much you enjoyed it and maybe something that you think you might be interested in. And, and take the thing, respect, show respect, and then set a really positive example and turn the whole thing into a good thing. And then at some point, then maybe he's willing to say, okay, you know what? Maybe I will go with you this time. It sounds, it sounds good. It sounds okay. And like maybe talk about how normal people are. It's like, that's half the fear. Like half the fear guys have is that the church is just full of a bunch of guys who are like crying and, and you know, in touch with their emotions and all that, which is all good stuff. But, but uh, like they just don't imagine there's real dudes there like that might talk to them about fantasy football. Okay. If you're, if you're maybe on the fence and you want to talk fantasy football, I would love to talk to you about that. Uh, it's one of my favorite things. All week long, I listen to fantasy football radio on Sirius. That's what I listen to in the car. Jess got in the car the other day, and she was like, she was like do, you listen, do, you, do you listen to this all week? She's like, every moment I'm in the car. Yes. I got to know who to grab off the waiver wire, man. So, uh, but uh, just set, be respectful and sh- set a really, really good example. Like if you're a kid and you're trying to influence your parents to come, just be the best teenager they've ever seen in their life. And when they ask you, why are you, why are you being this? Be like, well, it's because I'm going to church. And because, you know, hey, there's your opportunity. Just be respectful and set a positive example. Shame doesn't work. And, but when you, when you challenge someone or confront someone like that, they go to fight or flight. And then they either fight back with you about it or they just disengage altogether. So be respectful set a good example. That's what we do. And uh, let's say, so let's say that uh, we, can, we can get everybody in our family on board with this. And the leader of the family makes that statement and says, um, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That the, the leader of the family sets the purpose of the family. Well, what's next? You got the root, right? Now you got to start growing the branches and the leaves out of it. So this is step number two. Now the practices of the family should achieve the purpose of the family. So now that we have our purpose set, and that might be step number one for for a lot of us in the room, now that the purpose is set, now i got to make sure that everything we're doing in life actually helps us achieve that purpose. And this is really where the rubber meets the road, and it starts to get get a little tough, like to ask questions, are we praying together? Before meals, that's a good thing. It's a good thing to do. If I'm a parent, am I having my kids pray? Am I teaching them how to pray while we're at meals? Are we praying when something comes up, when something goes wrong? Is that our first go-to? Is that our first step? Do I, do I talk to my spouse about spiritual issues? Do I ask my spouse, do I ask my wife if she's having a quiet time? And, and if so, what's God saying to her? What's she learning? And what can I be helping for? What can I be praying for you for? Are we building those kinds of things in our life around it? How are we spending money? Are we spending money in a way that's going to bring honor and glory to God? Or are we in a ton of debt so we're not able to do whatever it is God calls us to do? Are we being generous and giving and being the way that, that God is and setting that as an example for our kids? Are we, what about our schedule? How are we spending our time? What's important? Are we so busy with stuff and other priorities that we can't achieve the number one priority? Are we serving other people together? Are we, are we as, a, as a family or as a couple or as whatever, are we, are we helping to build relationships with other Christians who are going to help encourage us and bring us along? Fellowship. Do my kids have friends who are Christians that they're going to grow with? Do I and my wife, do we have friends? Do I have friends? Do we have intentional relationships with people who aren't Christians so that we as a family can share good news with people and set a really great example of God's love for them? It's got to be everywhere. We, we need to look down and filter down through every aspect of our life and say, is our life achieving this purpose? 
I love the, the all-encompassing nature of what we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. So this, that's the purpose, right? Love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. That's the purpose. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. How do you do that? How do you put them on your heart? How do you put them on your kid's heart? How do you put them on your spouse's heart? Here's how you do it. You shall teach them diligently. Are we intentional about what's important? You, we will teach them diligently to our children. And shall talk about them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as signs on your hands and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Basically, it's got to be everywhere. Everywhere, constant reminders saying, this is what we're focused on and this is what we're going to filter everything through. One of the things that I learned growing up, I, I had the blessing of growing up in a home uh, where this was the case. And one of the things that was really important to us was making sure that our schedule aligned with this. And the center of the schedule for a Christian family is worship with the church. It is, for a Christian family, it is the most important thing that you do every single week, getting together with the church. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a pastor. I believe that my entire life, which is why I've always made it a priority to worship with the church. And it's more important than anything else that could possibly happen. It's more important, it's more important than any game. It's more important than any tournament. It's more important than than any uh, project at the house. It's more important than how late you were up on Saturday night. It's, it's more important than anything else in your schedule. Everything else should be built around worship with the church. And to say as a family that our primary goal is to love Jesus Christ, and so we are going to worship with the church together. And I was taught this from a very young age. I remember, um, I remember growing up, my dad is a pastor, okay? And um, every year we would take a vacation to the Thousand Islands, the St. Lawrence Seaway. It's up on the, uh, the New York-Canadian uh, border. And every year we would go on this fishing trip. And it was our family and another family, my dad's best friend from college, Uncle John. Uh, we're not really related, but we call him Uncle John. I'm named after him. And so um, we would go with them on this fishing trip every year to the same cabin 16 years in a row. It was, most of my vivid memories from childhood come from this trip. And uh, my dad was a pastor. Uncle John was a pastor, too. And uh, on this trip, we would always miss a Sunday. We'd always be at the river on a Sunday. And, you know, when, you, when you're a pastor and it's like it's your job to, <laughs> to, to, do, to do worship on the weekend and to write a message, it would be pretty tempting when you're away on vacation to be like, you know, let's just take this one off, you know. <laughs> let's, let's just go fishing. Let's, let's do something different today. But uh, to, to my parents' credit, they never did that. Even though we weren't at church, they, we had church together as a family. And so on Sunday morning, they would set up this whole program for us. So we had a lesson and a craft and a game we would do. And I remember specifically one year that we were learning, we're doing the story of David and Goliath. And the, the property we were on had this crab apple tree down in the corner, down by the water. And so we went down to the crabapple tree, and they drew a face on a paper plate and stuck it up on a tree, like way up in the air. And then we took those crab apples and we just chucked them at the, <laughs> at the face on the tree. And you got points for how many times you hit Goliath and extra points for hitting him right in the forehead. And, and we learned, it was, it was so much fun, and we learned about the story. But through those experiences, I learned something way more important than David and Goliath. I learned that worship as a church every single week is the most important thing 
you can do. And that's a start. But then we got to take it from there, and we got to go all week long, and we got to find ways to worship and to put uh, honoring God in the center of our schedule. Those of you that are parents, I specifically just want to talk to you for a second. When it comes to your kids, do you pray with them regularly? You, out loud, your voice hitting their ears. Do you pray for them and about them, with them? Are you teaching them to pray? Like when you sit down to eat, that's a good place to start. You sit down to eat and you start by teaching them some repeated prayers, you know, uh, those kinds of things. And then at some point you move on and you say, why don't you just, why don't you just thank God for some things today? Do you talk to your kids about spiritual things? Do you talk to them about the gospel? Do you, um, one of the, one of the best opportunities that you have to influence your kids is when you're disciplining them. So do you discipline them out of anger and, and quick reactions, or do you discipline them to show them how God disciplines us and take that as an opportunity to talk about grace and mercy and forgiveness and consequences and all these kinds of things that go along with it? Are you taking those opportunities and being intentional about it? It's, it is not enough just to bring them here on the weekend and let them go to Carolina Kids. Carolina Kids is amazing. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. It'll take your kids a long way, but it is not enough to set them up for a life of faith to God on its own. And there's tremendous resources that are available to you, by the way, through Carolina Kids. I don't know if you know this, but there's something called the Parent Q app that you can get on your phone. It'll tell you what to talk with your kids about that week and what their lesson was and help you follow up. It'll really set you up for success. Are you taking that intentional time? And I'm not, I'm not by any means the best example of a Christian parent, but I'll tell you what I do with our kids. Um, one of the things I do is I, I do bedtime every single night. So I just I take that because I know Jess doesn't particularly want to do it. So uh, I want to serve my family. So I take that, and um, I always sing them a song, and they want the same song every night, and that's cool. But uh, I sing them a song, and then I pray for them. Now, now, my older two boys, J.D., uh, who's nine, and Jairus, who's seven, they've both accepted Christ as their Savior. They've both been baptized. But Josie, our young, our, our baby girl, she's five years old, and she hadn't yet. And um, so what I do on, on, in the evening with her is I sing to her, but then before I pray, I talk to her about the gospel. I talk about sin. I talk about Jesus. I talk about him dying. I talk about him rising again. I talk about being forgiven of our sin and, and being filled with the Spirit. I talk to her about all this stuff. But she's, she's not yet been at the age where she can fully comprehend that. I'm not pushing it or making her make any decision that she doesn't want to make. But this past week on Wednesday, we were laying in bed, and I said, Josie, um, Josie what, did, what did Jesus do for you? I'd, I'd already sung. I said, what did Jesus do for you? And then she just told me the gospel. I mean, clear as could be. And then I asked her some questions about it, and she answered them. And I was like, she, she gets this. And five, that's about the age when a kid can, can start understanding that. And uh, it was like a light switch had turned off for her. And I said, well, do you want to ask Jesus to for, you want to ask God to forgive you through Jesus? And she said, yeah, I want to do it right now. And I was like, Okay. So I went, Jess, Jess, come up here. I just yelled from the room. Boys are going to bed. I just yelled, Jess, come up here. And she came up. She's like, what? And I told, she came in and I said, Josie, tell her. And Josie told her, you know, I'm, I'm letting Josie do this. Not, not me. I don't want to, I don't want to put words in her mouth. So, so I said, you, you tell her what you want to do. And she told Jess and Jess got this big smile on her face. And, and, uh, and then we, we were like, okay, let's pray. And Jess went, wait, 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 boys, <laughs> 
get in here. And so she called the boys and both the boys came in. And Josie told them what she wanted to do. And uh, we said, okay, Josie, just go ahead and pray and tell God, tell him, tell him you're sorry, ask him to forgive you, tell him you believe in Jesus. And so she prayed, sweet, simple, short, you know, um, and, uh, and she asked Jesus to forgive her of her sins. And, uh, and the boys, I tell you, I think the boys were more excited than Jess and I were. And they were like, oh, Josie, this means you get to get baptized. That's the next thing is to get baptized. And, um, and we were so excited. And I'll tell you that as a parent, my primary goal is for my kids to grow up to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love their neighbor as ourselves. I've set that in the middle of my life. I've set it in the middle of my family's life. And, and to have everyone have made that decision except for Josie was this little weight that was always sitting on my shoulders as a parent, just waiting for her to be ready. And when she made that decision, and now everybody within our nuclear family, everybody in, in that family has made the decision to accept Jesus Christ as, a, as their Savior, I am filled with this peace and this joy that I can't explain to you. You, that I can't describe to you, knowing that no matter what happens here on earth, we're going to be together for eternity. And I'm so excited about that. And, and I just want to tell you, if you don't have that joy that you can begin today, you can begin today taking that leadership role or influencing in your family from whatever position you may find yourself and have that same kind of joy. And for us, it's a family thing. And, um, and it's not over by any stretch of the imagination. Now what we got to do is walk with them through life and help them understand as they grow up and they have new understandings and new environments. And as they mature mentally and can understand things on a deeper level, keep walking with them through that and make sure that they understand on the level they can as they grow up. And uh, ultimately... One day when they're out of our, our, our control, you know, out from under our house, they will make their own decisions. Um, but I'm doing the best that I can possibly do, and I want you to do the best you can possibly do to guide them and steer them in the right direction. Are you intentional about what's most important? That our practices should line up with our purpose. Now, I know for some of you, this is a very overwhelming thing to talk about. Because you might look at it and say, we've got a long way to go. Or I haven't thought about this at all, <laughs> and I'm starting from square one. Or, or I'm in a situation that's confrontational where I don't even know if I can make any progress in this situation uh, where you're saying, I don't have any family. I don't even know what to do with this. And to that, I say, that's why we're here. This is a family. God designed the church to be a family that you can be a part of. He designed this to be a place where we could get encouragement from people who are focused on the same things. I'll say on behalf of this church family, as for us and our house, we'll serve the Lord. And we want our practices to line up with our purpose, and so we do everything we can to possibly do that. And, and this, is, this can be home for you. And so if you need advice, if you're not sure how to do this, if you can talk to me. We can, there's, you could really grab anybody here, and you could walk through it together and figure it out together. You can jump in on one of our teams or one of our groups and start to get to know people and say, I don't know how to deal with my wife right now, or, or I have no idea how to take this responsibility. I don't know what to do with my kids. I, I don't know what to do in this relationship, and we're here for you. Jesus actually gave a slightly different definition of family than what we're used to. In Matthew chapter 12, he's talking to a group of people, and it says this, While he was speaking to the people, behold, his mom and his brothers stood outside. They were asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who are my mother and who's my, who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother 
and sister and mother. Now, he wasn't saying <laughs> that Mary wasn't his mom anymore, but that he had a family in front of him. And so this is what we do together. We set honoring God at the forefront of everything that we do, and we all chase it together. We all do that together. We all live that together. We help each other. We encourage each other. We support each other. When God gave us the vision for this church, he said specifically to me and to my wife, I want you to create a place that is family and functions that way. You can be a part of that family. And the, the first step for you is to make sure that you're a part of the family of God, to accept salvation through Jesus Christ. If you, if you have faith in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, paying the penalty for your sin, and you believe that he rose again, your entire life can change. You turn away from sin, you turn towards God, and he fills you with his spirit, and you have a family. And you can work together with this family, and you can work on your biological family too. The real Christian family is, is what we're experiencing right here. But then all of us at home have so much work to do. And so um, what I want to do is I want to pray. Because there's no way we can do this without the help of God and the guidance of God. And so we're going to go to him and ask for his help and thank him for family and thank him for his word that guides us. And um, we're going to make commitments as we do this. So let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for your love and your grace that uh, you welcomed us into your family when you didn't have to. I pray that there would be some today that would enter that family for the first time and ask forgiveness of their sin and embrace you through their faith in Jesus Christ. And they can tell you that right now and enter into your family. And, and I pray, God, that as each of us, we, uh, we gain support and and uh, help and encouragement here in this family. We thank you for that. And then we each have our, our family, whatever that looks like. It's so different for everybody in the room, which is why we trust the Spirit to speak to each person right now, each of us. Spirit, tell us, show us. For us and our situation, help us to have a good perspective of where we actually are and then what we can do. Maybe for some today, God, it is setting, honoring you at the center of their family. Maybe they're in a leadership position and they haven't been filling it and they need to step into it today. Maybe they're not in a leadership position and they need to make a commitment to influence today. But to put that in the middle of the family, to put that in the middle of our life. And then, God, I ask for perspective for each of us to see where we're doing that really well and where it needs work. And there's always somewhere that needs work. You've been telling me all week long what I need to work on. And I pray that you make that really clear to each person here. And then through the power of the Spirit, you would give us the confidence to know that we can do those things. And I thank you. I thank you that you've given us our families. This environment in which we experience love, where we experience grace and we experience mercy. We want our family here on earth to be a good representation of how your family works. God, I pray for each person here, and, and we are in this together. So grow us together. Give us unity. Help us to help each other as we pursue honoring you in all things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.